this is weird shit that my mom said. I'm Jules. I'm Cece. Uh, that was cool. What episode are we on? I think we're on episode 24. Is that correct? I think so. I think it's number 24. And also, I'm very sorry that I got excited and put my face next to the microphone when I sang that. Um. Yeah, now I'm going to have to pull it back. Well, you can have your face by the microphone because you're always very quiet on the recordings. So. Oh, I am very quiet? You're Yeah, you're so quiet except for when you laugh. Oh, that okay, gets yeah. really loud. But I can um, pull that back. So I noticed that when I put my face too close to the microphone, you can hear all of my peas, like a gross kind of pee. So, pee. And it's, I don't like it. So I'm trying to come up with the right distance. Oh, you just need a pop filter. Okay, I can finally see your face. Okay, so right before we got on to this episode, um, we're FaceTiming, and Cece's face became an exclamation point. And then she told me that she made an exclamation point face at me. I did. Mm-hmm. Ex- exclamatory. You made an exclamatory face? And then I you did. were like, what did it look like to you? And I was like, okay, well, this is what I think it looked like. No, it was actually more like this, like with a smile. Like, oh no, I know the one. I know the one you're going to do. Okay, it turned back into an exclamation point again. Well, that's because I commanded it to with my. It was like, oh, it's she's trying to be an exclamation point. <laughs> Your face is doing an exclam- exclamatory thing. Yeah, so we're just going to exclamation point you right now. What the fuck, man? I can't see it. Every time you try it's to do it, it turns internet. into an exclamation point. Your internet fucking sucks. No, it was less O in the mouth and more like smile in the mouth. You know, like the big weird smile that I do? Yes, I know the big weird smile that you do. I'm trying to be creepy. You yeah. yeah. But you can't so. because you look like a doll. Yeah, so well, I'm going to apologize to our listeners for today. I do not feel the best. My voice is in rough shape, but that's okay. Okay, so you were going to start telling me a story about how you, I don't want to use the word failed at your challenge, but you had a rough patch at your challenge and you didn't make it and you were about well, to Well, I guess if you why. don't make it, you fail. Yeah, if you don't make it, you fail. So I, so I have a cold that's pretty rough and it is especially hitting my lungs pretty hard and I tried to go on the elliptical yesterday, and I had just a ton of chest pain while I was on it. I did get through like 10 minutes there. I walked afterward, but I was just down for the count after that. It just took everything out of me. So I only got 45 minutes done yesterday. It's okay, though. I'm still still on my diet. I'm still trying to lose weight. I'm still going to exercise. It just transitions me to regular life a little bit sooner, and that's okay. Well, don't stop. I mean, don't. I mean, stop if you're gonna die on the elliptical. <laughs> I'm like, keep going, bitch. And then here I sit drinking something that's bad for me. Oh, are you drinking sugar right now? Hey, what? Oh, <laughs> I don't want to talk sugar? about it. Um, I mean, it de- depends on how you define sugar. Uh, anyway, I mean, if there's sugar in it, it's sugar. It's like you're like uh, a sugar cube, but yeah, I'm not eating a sugar cube. God, uh, me and the girls are trying to be healthier, and I'm not making decisions for them. I told them I wouldn't, but we're I'm helping them educate uh about the food labels and stuff. So you're helping them educate. Yeah, I'm helping them. Edu- I'm, I'm educating them. them? Educating <laughs> yes. them. Yes. Great. Hey, I've only had two sips of coffee so far. Together. In my life. Okay, get it together. Hey, so 
Uh, I didn't make voice recordings, but there were some weird things I wanted to tell you about. That would I would okay. These are the things that I would normally just tell you when you were my neighbor, and when I came home. So there's this thing in I don't know if it's in all of the South, but in Florida, and they put out these giant signs on the road. They're like those. They look like construction signs that like flash a a message or whatever. And being from the north, when one of those signs is out, what do you think? It's what do you think when you see a giant flashing construction sign? I think it's gonna be like about a road closure. Exactly. Okay, so these ones. This one tell you that Jesus saves. It didn't. But there is that one sign that we'll probably see when we're going back up north in about you know in a few weeks that will say go to church or the devil will get you. But yeah, I love that one. That is my favorite sign. But this one is like a flashing road sign. And I didn't understand the concept of it and I had to ask the doc if we were in danger because it says drive safe and then it says lock your doors. Oh. That would make me think I was about to get carjacked. And I'm like, is there is there a bad guy on the loose that's like carjacking people or breaking into homes in the area? Like, why is this giant sign down here flashing? And like, I mean, this has been going on for years now that I've been here. But I just I saw one the other day and I thought of it and it made me giggle again because the doc said, no, that's just the sheriff in town like trying you know name recognition or whatever and then usually afterwards it'll be like sheriff so and so um but why would you put out a giant sign that says lock your doors that to me is like a danger well he's just trying to remind you to be safe because that's his job because he's the sheriff he's trying to remind you to be safe it's preventative care okay well i could have like I was like, oh God, turn around immediately and go home. There's a bad guy on the loose. And it's yeah. just right. some guy. There is a bad guy on the loose, and it's my cat. Oh no. I just saw her little there feet flying is. through the air. Hello, little monkey yeah. face. Look at cat. What a cat. All right. Well, you know what? We're like seven minutes in, which I don't even know how that happened. Yeah, we better get get it moving. Um it was my birthday this week. And because of that, I feel inclined to put on my tinfoil hat. I was going to make a real tinfoil hat. Okay, seriously, cat. Okay, I might have to like take her and jam her upstairs quickly because she's just. Did you say jam her upstairs? I swear to God, Cece is gentle to animals. She did not mean that in a harsh way. Lock your doors. What are you doing? What are you doing with your face? Sometimes I do this thing where I take a drink and then I just hold the liquid in my mouth before I swallow. It's like my esophagus isn't quite ready to accept it. I thought maybe you were trying to taste it for a while longer or something. No, I'm not trying to taste it for longer. It's just that I feel like if I were to swallow quickly, it could result in something like some sort of spasm. So I just, I'm like, hold, swallow. You look really cool when you do it. Just I look cool know. most of the time. Okay. Not going to so, lie. Put on my tinfoil hat here because it's my birthday and that's what I want to do. But I got in deep. I got in really deep. I needed to go back to what many believe was the time of the first UFO, like alien contact here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. That's but not true. we're going to go back to 1947. Yes. And World War II just got done. The military at this point is held in really high regard in the United States following our victory. But it's also the atomic age. And if you've ever learned much about UFOs, you will quickly learn that. Atomic bombs and UFOs seem to kind of go hand in hand a little bit. They are synonymous. 
Yes. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of UFO things happening where atomic bombs live and such things. And so where atomic bombs live. Yeah. Where they live, basically. Um, it's true where they live. And so in in June of like June and July of of 1974, across the United States, there is this huge UFO wave. People are reporting sightings of them left and right. And they Wait, think in 1974? Been... No, 1947. You are dyslexic with this sickness. True story. I was like, is it bell bottoms or the greatest generation? Which one are we talking about here? The Greatest Generation. So okay. 1947, but up to 800 UFO sightings. What? Over the course of like a couple of weeks all over the mm, U.S. That sounds like um, a mania. Yeah. Um, some of the, the most notable sightings, um, especially in the last week of June and the first week of July, are in Emmett, Idaho, Norfolk, Virginia, um, Bozeman, Montana, Shreveport, Louisiana, and Olwine, Iowa. Okay. Yeah. We're going to take it a little bit farther, farther west. And on June 24th of 1947, pilot, it was a civilian pilot, Kenneth Arnold, is flying over Mount Rainier, Washington, looking for a crashed airplane that he heard was out there in hopes of getting a $5,000 reward for finding it because they're just looking for help because this airplane is missing. So not just to be it's, a good Samaritan. Yeah. I mean, maybe he also wanted to be a good Samaritan because I feel like, I mean, he's a civilian pilot. So maybe he'd be like, well, if I went down, I'd want somebody to come look for me for $5,000. <laughs> for $5,000. No, right? So so it's like it's 3 p.m. It's a clear, sunny day. He's mostly looking at the ground, you know, really trying to see if he can find this other clash, crashed plane. But... All of a sudden, he kind of thinks he's seeing sunlight reflecting off of another plane. And it's just like it's this like flash of bright light that happens and it lights up the entire sky. And at first, he's thinking he nearly hit somebody because he was like, oh, they must be so close that their lights are reflecting really brightly off of ah! their plane. And he's kind of freaking out. And then all of a sudden, there's another flash. And he realizes it's coming from nine flying objects flying diagonally in formation very near to him. He notices that there's no tails, no jet streams, and they're moving really fast. And he looks at his own velocity at the time and calculating off of his own velocity, he estimates that they're flying about 1,700 miles per hour. Wait, what? Like how fast does a normal plane fly? I don't know. And especially in 1947. What do you know? I know nothing. Jon Snow. About planes. I know nothing about planes. But I do know that that is twice the speed of sound. And so you I guess know we, something. Yeah. And I guess we can fly that fast now. But, we can. But that technology wasn't available until six years after this. I feel like if you flew that fast, your face would fly back. I would like, imagine that you would just be a, like like it would a just skeleton peel face. off of your, like your skin would just peel off can't picture things very often but i can just picture skin peeling back into a skeleton face <laughs> yeah and yeah so it's pretty crazy he said that the movement of them was kind of like a saucer skipping over water and he wasn't talking about a saucer shape but more <laughs> like like a boomerang like a crescent shape but I'm sorry i thought you were gonna say a sausage <laughs> like a sausage Instead skipping a over sa- water <laughs> I could just say like a sausage skipping over. And I imagined a McDonald's a McDonald's sausage patty. Like Oh, I was thinking like, like a rock. Uh, Can we do that? I didn't even <laughs> think of McDonald's sausage patty at first, which is uh, weird because I love McDonald's sausage. I know you do. But That's I was thinking I of, of like them. like a wiener shaped sausage <laughs> skipping over water. No, I would like to can we please now take a McDonald's sausage patty and try to skip it like a rock? <laughs> well, from now on, I'm just going to call it a flying sausage. <laughs> flying sausage patty. Flying sausages. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Okay. I'm so sorry. Proceed. Yeah. So, like, so like saucer skipping over water. I don't know why you'd say a saucer. I would say a rock, but whatever. But 
shaped more like boomerangs. However, when he reported this, the newspaper just decided to go with the flying saucer thing. And that's actually where the uh, flying saucer word comes from, even though what they were seeing was more like crescent, like boomerang shape. It was more like a sausage. Like it was a more like a sausage, sausage patty. General. Yeah. Okay. Flying sausage. So this story comes out across newspapers in addition to all of these other sightings that are happening all over the country. And that's that's pretty interesting. And now we're going to move our f- story further south to Roswell, New Mexico. Roswell. Yeah. Not to be confused with Area 51 because I'm I'm getting so into this like this UFO stuff and I didn't really know much about it because I just dismissed and took things at what people told me they were. And I thought that Area 51 and Roswell were right by each other, but they're not. They're, they're not. No, no, they're different. I thought they were too. Like, it turns out yeah. New Mexico is not the size of a pea. No, it's really not. And, but but this is important to, like, what I would cover next in the UFO stuff, which would be uh, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. We're going to get sued. And, no, we're not. We get sued. Maybe if people that. listen to our podcast, but they don't. Do you think anyone really cares about what we're doing? No, especially, I really don't. Especially the Habazal guy. And who is I'm that? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say the real name of the song because you told me not to. You know, but who sang that in the first place? I have no idea. In my head, I All feel right. like the guy's name is Lou. Might have been. Do we have any listeners that are musicians? Could you please write a parody of How Bizarre, Bob Lazar? <laughs> Bob Lazar. How Bizarre. Do you remember Dad? Dad didn't know what the words were. He thought they were saying Papazan. Papazan, and that's what my brain goes to first. That's <laughs> like I sing Sure. Yeah, he didn't know. Our dad doesn't hear so well. Oh, okay. That's great. Back to the story. All right. We're in Roswell, New Mexico, not the same as Area 51, but this will still be important. So Roswell at this time is home, the headquarters of the 509th Bomb Group, which is the only atomic strike force in the world at the time. So this is the group that detonated the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So you said the 509th? Yes. So that means that there's 508 other bombers, too? No, they just called it the 509th. I'm not sure what the number corresponds to, but there are not 508 other atomic bomb groups in the United States. Are you sure? I can't be positive, but because they did say in that research, and I did say in that sentence, that's the only atomic bomb strike force in the world at that time. Well, I don't listen to you. Maybe okay. there's just other bomb groups that don't do atomic bombs. Oh. Perhaps. Yeah. So the base at Roswell is known as the RAAF, and that's what I'm going to refer to it. So Roswell Army Airfield is what I'll call it. So the Air Force broke away from the Army on September 18th of 1947, so just months after this. So that happened with the enactment of the National Security Act of 1947. And at that time, it became the Roswell Air Base until 1948 when it was renamed the Walker Air Force Base. So throughout this story, though, we're going to call it the RAAF. And at this time, they are functioning as the Army and not as the Air Force. The RAF. Mm-hmm. The RAF. So <laughs> the very first atomic bomb in history of the world was detonated just south of this at the Trinity site. So that's where the testing happened for the atomic okay. bomb. So there's definitely some atomic bombs shit going on here. And then also near this area, there was testing taking place of captured German V-2 rockets at White Sands near Alamogordo in New Mexico. So there's a lot of military stuff and testing going on in this area. And so even though there was a lot of military technology happening in the area, this is not an area with a great infrastructure. I think that's important to know as we walk through the story. So, so 1947 in this area, most people don't even have electricity in their homes. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty barren. And, and also, 
there's only a handful of phones in the area that are mostly in businesses. And in fact, there wasn't like phone service for people that lived out in the area that this crash happened until 1986. Well, this is pretty much the area where the Hills Have Eyes happened, right? Yeah. Nobody Fucking can contact each other. Scary yeah. movie. Yeah, and a lot of these people don't even have radios. There's a so, lot of mannequins. Maybe a lot of mannequins. Maybe some There's aliens. the mannequins that live in those fake towns that they bomb. Oh, there are, actually. I forgot about that. I don't know if that's real or not, but it's always on TV. Well, on it was in a movie. So, so it's real. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was probably on the interwebs, too. I take a swig there. Okay, so I guess in New Mexico, July and August is like their monsoon season. So even though it's the desert, they get heavy rain and storms regularly at this time. So okay. they're used to this. This is a thing that happens pretty regularly. And there's a guy named Matt. I think his last name is like Brazel or Brazel. I like how Brazel sounds better, so that's how I'm going to say it. In but my head. if I'm wrong. I said, chicky, chicky, Mac. Yeah, I'm just going to call him Mac from now on. So Mac is a rancher, and he works at the J.B. Foster Ranch, which is about 75 miles away from Roswell and about 15 miles away from the town of Corona, New Mexico. So it's kind of in the middle there in between the two. Bigger. Because I guess 75 miles is close down down in those parts. So Oh. I mean. Yeah. Not really. If you're in a flying sausage, it is. If you're in a flying sausage, absolutely is close. But um, so that's why some people will argue that this should have been called the Corona incident and not the Roswell incident. Well, we already have a Corona incident now. I know. Maybe the aliens gave it to us. Probably not. What if everything points back to coronavirus? It's not. It's not. Okay. So it's July 3rd. So this is kind of like in the midst of all these UFO sightings. July 3rd, there's this crazy ass thunder and lightning storm going on, but that's to be expected, of course. But in the middle of the storm, Mac hears a loud explosion that sounds much different than the thunder. But of course, he doesn't have electricity. He doesn't have like a phone. He can't call anybody. He's not going to go out in this crazy, crazy storm. So he's just like, well, I guess... Something exploded. Like, what are you going to do, right? Do you think he knows what electricity is? He did know that electricity existed, yeah. Are you sure? He wasn't an Amish. I mean, they know what electricity exists, too. If you didn't have it. Yeah. If you... I know. He didn't even have a radio. He didn't get newspapers or anything out there. He was really secluded out in that area. He didn't didn't even live. He didn't know about electricity. Fine. He, did, he had no idea that there could have been some other way for him to find he out. He didn't know anything about anything. Well, poor Mac. Like, let's not be mean to him because he gets the brunt of all of this. Where did he even come from? He shouldn't. Well, he so he didn't even live at the ranch. Like, he, he lived at the ranch, but his family didn't live there with him. So he had another home farther away, but he stayed at the ranch to work. I don't know if he had electricity in his house or not. I know that he was dirt fucking poor. I don't know what you know. JB people, they didn't pay him very much. Okay. It was a rough time for Mac. <sighs> but let's not be mean to Mac because he had a rough go of things. So I'm not being mean at him. I'm just but yeah. He's he's want to get to know he, him. He doesn't have a radio. He doesn't. He doesn't get newspapers. He doesn't read any of this stuff. He only communicates with people by speaking to them, by like driving into a town and talking to people, which he did. He's a friendly guy. He's a nice guy. So I hope he asks a lot of questions. He wasn't bad looking either. I saw a picture of him yesterday and I was like, wow, that's not too bad. He's kind of old Rancher for you. Mac. Well, he's very dead now, but. Oh. <laughs> R.I.P. Jiggy Jiggy Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the people in the story are dead. So, anyway, can't do anything. So, here's this boom, gets through the night and moves on with life. And so, in the, it might have been the next day, it might have been a couple days later, but Mac is out walking on the ranch and he's got his neighbor's seven year old son who goes by the nickname D. And 
1947 and it's New Mexico and seven-year-olds apparently learn how to work. And so he's learning how to be a farmhand. So he's just like tagging along. I'm just imagining this like little kid, you know, just tagging along with his neighbor. And so they're moving a bunch of sheep around, the herding sheep, if you will. And they come across a bunch of debris that's scattered all around the pasture. And it's this huge, huge area. So it's like three quarters of a mile long and like two to 300 feet wide. So just this just insane debris is everywhere. And the sheep will not go anywhere near it. They will not use this part. And he needs to get them through there. And he's like, what the fuck? Like there's shit everywhere. And he's kind of pissed off because he's like, "Is it? what is it? Where did this come from? So is it like shrapnel? Yeah. Well, at first he didn't really understand what he was looking at. So he thought maybe it was a weather balloon, but he was really, really familiar with weather balloons because they went down on the ranch really frequently. Again, he was familiar with weather balloons and they went down on the ranch very frequently. And they were generally made out of rubber or latex. They were about 20 feet long. So sometimes they looked really big, but he knew what they are. He knew that they were mechanical instruments attached to them to collect data. He knew what these things looked like and how to get rid of them. And he'd clean them up himself many times. So he so, did know some things. He absolutely knew some things. He probably so, knew about electricity then. He probably did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's going to be okay. more that comes here where you're like, oh, Mac did know about electricity. Yeah. But Okay. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Okay. So my weather bubble. Yeah, so he realized that this, this material is not rubber or latex. It is, it's shiny and metallic, and the pieces are really, really, it's like thin sheets, like very, very thin sheets. It weighs nothing. None of them are more like than a, a basketball. Suit. Yeah, n- none of them are any bigger than a basketball in size. And so these are like flat metallic sheets, and then there's some pieces that are called I-beams, so like a support beam right. of some sort. They came from a structure. And these are purple in color, and they have some strange writings or symbols on them. A lot of people have described them as being kind of like Egyptian hieroglyphics. So purple is the color of aliens. Yeah, I knew it. What kind of purple? I don't know. I, I can tell you it's fucking purple. I'm trying to imagine it in my head. I need to know if it's that like that offensive, like bright purple. Or is it like a nice, like deep purple? My brain went to purple. just like, like a deep purple in my brain. That's because there is a certain color of purple something. that you, we the kids call it CC purple. Okay. It's like the color that you enjoy. Yeah. And that's what I imagined it was. That's not what I imagined. I imagined something harsh. And bright, like Grimace. I don't know. It's an alien purple. It's alien purple. How is it peaceful? It's fucking aliens. Because they didn't hurt anybody. They kind of do, butt probing. Well, yeah, I know. A lot. I've talked about this before. They're just telling me they're about our buttholes. Like, they don't have buttholes. Okay, so. So he's finding all of this stuff and he couldn't see like he's like, OK, there's like no marking or crater or anything in the like in the ground in this particular area. And so he used to Zeus that something is shredded in the sky and fallen from above onto this area. And he's just annoyed because he's like this the shit is everywhere. The sheep won't go on it. And this is not my responsibility to clean the shit up like this was somebody's shit and they littered it all over my field. Yeah. And I don't want to deal with this shit. It's not like a weather balloon. He's like, let's figure out who the fuck this belongs to because they need to come there and clean up their fucking mess. And so he's looking at it harder, though, and he starts touching the metal. And he realizes that even though it's in these thin, flat sheets that he was thinking would be like, you know, like you could crumple it up like tinfoil almost because it was that thin. Right. He crumples it up. And when he lets it go, it just springs back into place without any creases or folds. It's like if what? you were to take tinfoil and smush it up, but then no. it just like bounces back into place. No. That's that's some crazy shit. I yeah, don't and so that. He takes some of it and he takes it back to the ranch. He tries to like tear it, 
He tries to burn it, and you could not damage the stuff. What? So like this, this shit's crazy. Is it moldable? I don't know. It's not Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's like, he's like, what the fuck? He's trying to figure out who this stuff belongs to and what this is, so he can get it. You know, so he can have somebody to come clean it up. And so he he travels, you know, and he does like talk to his son and his daughter and his wife, and he's like telling them to look at it to see if they know what's going on because maybe they're more familiar with electricity. And and they're like, they're like, I don't know. And so then he starts bringing it to his friends and bringing his friends to it. And they're like, not a fucking clue. So he starts like, he's like, just like going to the bar and the general store in Corona and being like, do you know what this is? And just like, he's just carrying it around. He's just carrying pieces of it around and like giving it to people and being like, can you, can you tell me what this is and who it might belong to? So I need to see it. these people are hearing about it. Well, you can't. So why? Because of the cover up. We're getting there. <sighs> Yeah, they they got all the pieces from everybody that he That's gave what them they out say. to. That's what they say. I'd like to think that somebody's hiding it, but they also think they're going to die if they say that they have it. Okay, so so yeah, he's just he's handing it out left and right, and people are seeing all this stuff. And even seven year old D is like taking his friends out to the site to look at it because he's like got like friends. He's like bringing them out to the site, and being like, "Look at this crazy shit." So. Yeah. So about a day or so later, Mac has to go to Rosalie's. He's got to do some rancher stuff like selling wool or something like that. And so he decides that he's going to bring some of the stuff with him um, just into Roswell to see if anybody there knows what it is. And he sits down at a bar in Roswell and has a drink and is like shooting the shit because I guess he's like a super nice, friendly, jovial guy that likes to hang out with people. And he's like, he hey, up- do you know anything about electricity? Yeah. What do they you might know? have had electricity at the bottom there. That's my guess. I bet you he was amazed. He was like, Yeah, so he's showing pieces of this by candlelight. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's sitting there in the bar though, and some people start telling him about that pilot story from earlier where he saw all those nine craft and all the people seeing craft all over the U.S. And they're like, yeah, there's a $3,000 reward right now if you can find evidence of these flying craft and bring it to the military. And Mac Whoa. is dirt fucking poor. He doesn't have any money. Like some of the time they're talking about just people in this area not even having money for the gas to come look at the site and he would like bring it to them. But yeah, people were didn't have any money. So Three thousand dollars is a lot of money. I think it's like forty-one thousand dollars in today's money, if I remember correctly. When I looked, it I up. would take so, that. That'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. So he's like, "Well, maybe this is flying saucer shit because I've never seen anything like this." So he heads over to the police station. And this is on Monday, May or Monday, July seventh, and over there he meets the sheriff of Roswell. His name is Sheriff Wilcox, and. He is also baffled by the material, and so he decides that he's going to dial up the Roswell Army Airfield, the RAF, if you will, R-A-A-F, and he gets in touch with Colonel William Blanchard there and describes the material to him. And Blanchard's like, okay, I'm going to send some guys over, like, right now. Hang tight. And so they're waiting for Army dudes to show up, and Sheriff Wilcox ends up getting a phone call from a local reporter, and his name is Frank Joyce. And... Mac tells him what he's discovered, and Frank learns a lot more than than we even know at this point. So he he talks to Mac pretty briefly, but he learns some pretty crazy shit from Mac. And so that gets cut off, though, really, really quickly because the Army guys showed up, like, really fast, like, almost almost too fast, they say. And the guys that show up from the Army aren't just any old soldiers, not like they're just a couple of soldiers that are like, oh, we got to look at this debris and see if we got to clean it up or whatever. Because they're men in black? Well, not men in black necessarily, but they're very important men. So Major Jesse Marcel was the highest ranking intelligence officer of the 509th Bomb Group. And Lieutenant Colonel Sheridan D. Cabot, who was a high ranking counterintelligence officer who had experience mostly working like identifying Russian spies and working with that kind of thing. He's one of the people that would know the most about identifying 
military technology from other countries and our enemies. And so other worlds. Yeah. So these are guys that are have very high security clearances. They know a lot about all the stuff. They're like the most important men that you could send over there besides the colonel. Oh, snap. Yes. So Marcel took Mac in his personal vehicle, which was a baby blue 1942 Buick convertible. And, and they're like going into a ranch. And then Cavett follows behind in a military jeep. And by the time they reach the area, because they do have to drive, you know, like 75 miles away and then Which into is not this, very far away in that area. Well, that and For but they're like sausages. on like ranch terrain, right? So they're having to like get out Ooh. to this like this ranch is huge. And so by the time they reach the area, it's super dark outside. They do check out some of the larger materials that he kept in some of the livestock sheds or in one of the livestock sheds. And then they ended up staying at a bunkhouse on the property called the Heinz House. And they just slept there overnight so they could look at the debris right away at dawn on July 8th. July 7th, sorry. It was so he's just when they did that. He's just so Airbnb. July 7th in the morning. The men in black. He's Airbnb in the Men in Black, yeah. In the morning, they're looking at the debris, and they start picking some of it up. And there there was so much, though. So, like, throughout the day, there's so much debris that Marcel had filled up his vehicle, like, his personal vehicle. And they had also filled up the Jeep twice and had the Jeep, like, run things back to the base. Because they're trying to take care of as much of this on their own as they possibly can. But Marcel later recounts that after picking up those three loads themselves, like by hand all day, but there's still about a football a football field left of debris to clean up. Ah. Yeah, just tons. And the debris was really strange. It was so strange that Marcel, who has a high security clearance, felt like on the way home, because he hadn't been told it was classified yet, that he stopped, he woke up his wife and his 11-year-old son, he woke them up from sleeping. So it's like late at night and he was like, I need to show you guys this shit. And I'm thinking he was thinking in his head that there would never be a chance for them to see anything like it. Right. Ever. And so he shows them these thin pieces of metal, thin pieces of metal debris and purple support beams with a strange writing on them. And they they played with the metal because it was so crazy. They were crushing it up in their hands. It's like springing back to life. And his son, who outlived Marcel very vividly remembers. He's like, my dad woke me up in the middle of the night to play with metal. Like, that's really fucking that's weird, so right? Cool. I mean, I would want to show my family too. I'd be like, nobody's ever going to believe what a me, life. right? He knows. He knows what's going to happen. And so, of course, when he gets back to the base, he's ordered to secrecy about everything that he had seen. Of like, you are not going to talk about this ever again. And unbeknownst to Marcel or Pavit may have known about this, but at this point, the army takes Mac into custody and they begin oh, detaining no. him at the RAAF housing. Why did they do that to Mac? Yeah. They're like, so, stop showing everyone tinfoil. That's magic. Yeah. Stop showing people the magic tinfoil. I hope they paid him handsomely for his troubles. Well, yeah, they did. Um, But yeah. So the next day on July 8th. The Army releases a press release that they indeed have uncovered an entire-ass flying saucer. Wait, 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 wait. They had a press release? The Army had a press release that they found a flying saucer on that property. Who gave them permission to do that? Did they get in trouble? Colonel Blanchard. And he like, did this did in combination with fired? Jesse Marcel. Well, no. But okay, so I'm I'm gonna read what the newspaper article that was written about. Like, I don't have the press release because I think the army got rid of it afterward, is my understanding. But the paper is claiming that there was a official press release that they wrote this on. Okay, so this is what the article said. The intelligence office of the 509th Bombardment Group at Roswell Army Airfield announced at noon today that the field has come into possession of a flying saucer. According to information released by the department over majority of Major J.A. Marcel, intelligence officer, the disc was recovered on a ranch in the Roswell vicinity after an unidentified rancher had notified Sheriff uh, G.O. Wilcox, I think it must be Jeff, Sheriff Jeff Wilcox, here that he had found the instrument in his premises. 
Major Marcel and a detail from his department went to the ranch and recovered the disc, it was stated. After the intelligence officer here had inspected the instrument, it was flown to higher headquarters. The intelligence office stated that no details of the saucer's construction or its, or, or its appearance had been released. Mr. and Mrs. Dan Wilmot apparently were the only persons in Roswell who seen what they thought was a flying disc. Who seen? <laughs> yeah, who seen. Sorry. <laughs> I, I hate that, but it's there. Um, they were sitting on their porch. my own eyes. They were sitting on their porch at 105 South Penn last Wednesday night at about 10 o'clock when a large glowing object zoomed out of the sky from the southeast going in a northwesterly direction at a high rate of speed. Wilmot called on Mrs. Wilmot's attention to it, and they both ran into the yard to watch. It was a sight less than a minute, perhaps 40 or 50 seconds, they estimated. Wilmot said that it appeared to be about 1,500 feet high and going fast. He estimated between 400 and 500 miles per hour. In appearance, it looked oval in shape, like two inverted saucers faced mouth to mouth or like two type wash bowls placed together in the same fashion. The entire body glowed as if light were showing from the inside, though not like it would inside, though not like it would be if a light were merely underneath. From where he stood, Wilmot said that the object looked to be about five feet in size and making allowance for the distance it was from town, he figured it must have been 15 to 20 feet in diameter, though this was just a guess. Wilmot said that he heard no sound, but Mrs. Wilmot said that she heard a swishing sound for a very short time. The object came into view from the southeast and disappeared over the treetops in the general vicinity of Six Mile Hill. Wilmot, who was one of the most respected and reliable citizens in town, kept the story to himself, hoping that someone else would come out and tell about having seen one, but finally today decided that he would go ahead and tell about it. The announcement that the RAAF was in possession of one came only a few minutes after he decided to release the details of what he had seen. Oh. Yeah. So that's pretty, pretty juicy, right? And weird. And so... In light of this release, Frank Joyce from the radio is like, damn, like I need to I need to air that story that Mac told me the other night when I interviewed him. And yeah. so he starts planning out his release of the story the next day. And Marcel, also thinking that they're continuing with the story because they've done a press release, he he's like, Okay, like this is going going on. And he he learns that he's supposed to get on a plane. And go see Colonel Blanchard's boss, Base General Roger Ramey, in Fort Worth, Texas, so that so that Ramey can see it himself. And he's told to put some of the debris into a box and bring it with him, in addition to stuff that's going to be flown on the plane. So I feel a little bit scared for him. Yeah, so he finds out that they're doing a press conference and that they'd have a photographer there. So he's like, okay, that's why I'm boxing some of the stuff up so I can show examples in this press conference because it's a big deal. And so, unfortunately, both were in for a rude awakening. The radio station owner gets a phone call that day, and it's from Washington, D.C., telling them that this story is now a matter of national security and that if they air any of the story that he got from Mac, that they lose their broadcasting license. Ah, yeah, they inform him that Mac's going to be coming back for a new interview, and he does. He shows up with military escorts. Mac sits back down at the station with Joyce, and he retracts his original story, and he goes, no, this is it – was, it was a weather balloon. Sorry, guys. I messed up. It was just a weather balloon, and I got – I got mistaken. And like, like any good reporter, Joyce is – yeah, Joyce is questioning this, and, and Mac is like, listen, like, he says quietly to him, he's like – if I don't, if I don't do what the army says, they're gonna go hard on me. And he leaves it at that. So Ooh. Mac has to go, or like, the, sorry, Joyce has to go ahead with the story that it's just a weather balloon, a rejection. And Marcel also is oblivious to all of this going on, but he gets on the plane to go do the press conference in Fort Worth with his box of debris. And upon arriving. He's asked to leave the box of debris in one room while he goes into another room because General Ramey wants to see a map of where this, this all occurred. And so he goes in the other room and he's pointing out to General Ramey, who's very interested and is listening to where this all was found. And they return to the box 
couple of minutes later and he realizes that it's been emptied and laid out to photograph, which he's like, okay, well, they must want to get some pictures of it. Yeah. But a, then he looks down and they've got this photographer in the room and he realizes it's not the debris that he put in the box. The material laid out to be photographed as pieces of some easily destructible metal stuff. It, like it's basically like a fucked up weather balloon that's made out okay. of metal and like very thin metal that's like like literally crumples in your hand. And there's some bamboo sticks and some scotch tape attached attached to the bamboo stick. <laughs> Marcel is like, um, what? But this photographer is what there in Marcel. Shit? I know. And Marcel is just instructed to pose with it. And he's being told this by like his commanding officer, his commanding officer. So he does what he's told. And so they take the photographs, they escort him out of the room, and then they keep him in seclusion for 24 hours. They tell him when they finally do release him that he is not to talk about debris ever again. He's not to talk about that mission with anybody else ever again. He's going to shut his mouth. And he does so. <sighs> On July 9th, the newspapers run a redaction of the story from the day before. And they include Marcel's new photos. It's basically just like, just kidding. That was actually a weather balloon. Ha ha. Whoops. We fucked up. It wasn't a, yeah. a spaceship. Like we definitely confused a spaceship with a weather balloon. Whoops. <laughs> Made out of bamboo and scotch tape. Yeah. So other papers had picked up the story by this time, but while some people thought the army was lying, most of them were just like, okay, weather balloon it is, because no, who wants to believe that there's there's an alien spaceship, right? And so they just go on with their lives. Ooh, especially back before electricity. Yes. And there's a lot more going on, though. So there's there's a lot of stuff happening here in the background. So Mac's grown son, Bill, he decides that he's going to go and see his dad a couple days later. I don't know if he heard about this or he was just planning on, on visiting his dad, but he goes out to the ranch and he realizes after asking around that his dad has been missing for three days at this point. What? And he tries to go. Yeah. He tries to go to feed the horses and other livestock, and he finds a huge military presence at the ranch. He, like, can't get even – they won't even let him go out and feed the animals. And he's like, my dad's not here. Nobody's feeding these horses, but they won't let me get over to the area that I'm supposed to. There's just – there's military trucks and soldiers everywhere. And he stays close by anyway out of concern for his father and the animals, and his dad ends up showing up about two days later. So they think that he was gone for probably five days, but up to a week in military who like fed the, the animals i don't know maybe somebody in the military was oh, to I do so army guy fed them yeah so when he gets back mac is notably different he's just fundamentally changed he's not good natured anymore he's not doesn't really joke around he's very quiet and reserved um he tells them that he had been arrested and held in jail and what yeah and he said that the government was using him to keep something secret, but didn't think that it was safe for his kids to know about it. He did tell his kids a couple of times, like, whatever you read about me in the papers, it's it's a lie. Like, I just want you guys to know that, but I, I have to be the scapegoat for something. And the military uh. has admitted that Max stayed at RAF housing for five days following the discovery of the debris. They never admitted that he was detained because it would have been illegal for them to detain him for something like this, of course. But yeah. yeah, like you mentioned earlier, a year after all this happened, Mac suddenly quit the ranch. He bought a brand new truck, which would have, like, if it was only a $3,000 reward, he would have, that would have taken up half the money just buying the brand new truck. Right, right. Prices. But he bought a new piece of land closer to where his family lived, and he opened up a meat locker. Like, he started his own business and had all this equipment. This guy had that no money dream. before that. Yeah. But that's just where – that's essentially where the story ended for such a long time. Because I remember even – I remember talking to our parents about this at one point, just saying, like, like, oh, people think that. And, like, our parents just being like, oh, yeah, they just said it was a weather balloon. Just really quick. You know, like, you hear yeah. about it and it's a really quick explanation of – of like, oh, that was that was nothing. The army did eventually acknowledge that something else was going on, and they eventually, in like 1994, decided that Project Mogul 
was a project that was going on then and that was these different types of weather balloons or testing that they were doing. It was top secret. And they said that that's what it was. And it was bigger than a regular balloon. But I don't think that what they described covers three quarters of a mile. Or... Of debris you know, or like secret metal that springs metal. back. Yeah. These are, just aren't things that we have. So I just, that's, it's fucking nuts. But yeah, it there's other, nuts. yeah, there's, so I kind of stuck to, Jesse Marcel eventually did tell his story many years later. And I don't think he even told the whole story, but many years later, Jesse Marcel talked about all this stuff and finding it and waking up his kid at night. And his kid remembers being woken up at night. And I did read – so the book that I read to do most of my research on this what is called Witness to Roswell. Mm-hmm. And the two authors of this book are apparently the most respected Roswell researchers or whatever. They've been researching it for 40 years. But They're I have read that there's – Roswellians. Roswellians, if you will. My understanding is that that book, there's some things that don't add up completely with another book that they read and that there are some holes to be poked in some of their stories. But but Marcel talking about this and and speaking up about it is, I mean, like that's really the most compelling witness to all of this. So the army saying that this guy doesn't understand the difference between a fucking weather balloon and and some things that are technology that we've never seen before. Right. And that's just like that's crazy to me. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to find some stuff here about Marcel and really who he was so you can understand. So he was in charge of the Army Air Force's security and intelligent briefings um, and the – I should have looked up this word. It's K-W-A-J-E-L-E-I-N. Quajin. I know how to say that. It's a base in the Pacific. Um, he, he was the command officer for Operation Crossroads, which test fired two atomic bombs. He was a recipient recipient of three commendations, including one from General Ramey himself. He received a diploma in 1945 from the Army Air Forces Training Command in Radar Technology in in Langley, Virginia, and was highly trained in radar tracking materials and equipment, including Rowan targets and ML-307 reflectors, which I have no idea what any of those things are. But those are the dominant parts. Yeah. Those were the dominant parts of the Project Mogul balloon devices that they said that they were in night. Yeah. So, like, uh, he he would have known if it was that kind of balloon. He was also the head intelligence officer, head intelligence officer A two, of a select squadron of people in charge of the atomic bomb in 1947. So he was part of that group. He was promoted to a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force Reserve with recommendations from both Blanchard and Ramey in 1948. So the next year, he's given a promotion. He later made the SAC chief of a foreign technology intelligence division. He was assigned a top secret special weapons project by the Pentagon later on, and here's his career. He was given 15 awards for combat credit and 15 more decorations, including the Bronze Service Star. So this guy, who's got all of these credentials, is apparently still being called incompetent by the U.S. Army because he couldn't identify rubber wooden sticks some tape oh and i guess there was some string as well some string and this debris that they took pictures of marcel admits that he he admitted well like in 1980 so six years before he died he was like no like this was not this is not the shit that i recovered from this field and the stuff that i recover from this field is not technology that we know about and i fully believe that it's extraterrestrial in nature well, they made him look like an idiot. Yeah. I'd be pissed. And they made Mac look like an idiot, too. And so there are some speculations. So that first interview that Joyce gave to – or that, that Mac gave to Frank Joyce, the reporter, mm-hmm. when yeah. he was waiting, Mac didn't just tell him that he found debris. If you remember, the story that came out said that they found a flying saucer – 
Yeah. Mac told Frank Joyce that they found bodies. What? That they found three bodies and that they were like four to five feet tall and that they smelled awful. What? And though Mac stopped talking to his family about this, one of his grandchildren or daughter, I think, I believe, in the future. This is where I'm starting to get off of my notes because my notes are so vast that I just couldn't couldn't get it all under control. But he told family members that there were terrible things that he was really glad that they never saw. Wait, and that the family never saw or that he, like, did Max see That the, the family never saw them. Yes. According to Frank Joyce and family members, Mac did see the bodies. Some members of Jesse Marcel's family, his son said that he never told him about bodies, but there are other people who were older at the time who say that Jesse mm-hmm. Marcel saw bodies. Jesse Marcel never has admitted publicly to seeing bodies, but but there are others. And so there's a lot of other stories that have to do with these bodies. But also, uh, we So did have they find the, the bodies after the military came? I think so. I think so when like, they were out searching they the area with the military. Well, okay, so he gave he gave the the report about the bodies to Frank Joyce, the the um right. the newspaper, right. the radio guy. He gave that report before the military got involved. And D, the 7-year-old boy, when he went out there with friends, he also may have seen something. After he was out there searching around, he got weird afterward. I guess that he stopped, like, after all of this, he stopped talking completely about- The seven-year-old did? The debris. Yes. He stopped talking about it completely. Later in his life, he told people that he wasn't even born at the time that the accident happened, that he wasn't there, which was, like, not true. Why? Well, the military was out scaring people, too. So there's all these accounts that the military, that there were certain officers that were, they like, the officers have admitted, some of them, just in, like, through family members, some of them on deathbed confessions, a couple of them talked to these people that wrote the book. But they're saying that they had to, like, go out and search people's homes to try to find all these recovered pieces that were passed around. Okay, so I have some questions. You're always like, fuck, she's got questions. I know. Are you getting the googly ready? Well, Um, I'm getting ready to search my notes, yeah. Okay, so if you're you're on your property and and something, and there appears to be some sort of crash, right? All the debris, debris, debris (laughs) field, right? So you got a bunch of shit like out in the yard. And if I'm understanding you correctly, he comes across these dead bodies of whatever. Yeah. Why? That's a little bit different than like going to the bar and being like, hey, look at my funny metal. But ching. Like that's a little bit different than that. So I know. Like why, after finding the bodies, didn't he, like, is that when he went to the police and was like, yo? I don't know. See, that's, like, these are all things that there's not a lot of recollection of, you know? Because, like, I mean, Joyce, like, you but- stumble across something like that, you're not just going to be like, eee, okay, I'm just going to walk away yeah, from that I'm and go ask wondering- about some funny metal. Yeah, I mean, these people are all really old by the time they're talking about it, and I almost wonder if Frank Joyce really maybe got that from a different interview because Frank Joyce apparently did end up interviewing him four separate times. And I wonder if maybe that that detail came out afterward and that maybe he found them with the military. But I do yeah, know I that- I feel like he had to have found them with the military. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it really doesn't make any sense. There's also counts that there might have been another crash site, like another impact site, there is some account of there being a spot on Max Ranch where the the sand there was turned to glass because something hot 
had come across it that people are saying had to do with the, the bodies. But I am going to talk about D again for a second here. So D denied ever having been born, like I said, um, on that day for the rest of his life. <laughs> I denied which is ever his own having mom, been born. His own mom was like, nah, you, you were you were definitely alive and you were there. But he eventually shared something with his mom when he thought that he was going to – like he thought that she was going to die from a blood clot that was in her neck. She, I guess she didn't end up dying. But the only thing that he did really was he drove her out to some other strange spot out on the ranch and he told her that Mac found something else on that spot. And he like just wanted to share this with his mom before she died, basically. Just a weird like who would like do that to that like their mom's dying and they're like, Yeah, I gotta show you this spot. And that's all he'll talk about. But other like his friends admitted to going to the other site, like what they called the other site. And they were all like they all said that they saw some fucked up shit. They were all weird afterward. They all have accounts of saying that the the military came to them and threatened to kill them and their families. Yeah. So do you want to hear like this is the base story and we're at about an hour. My notes from everything else are a little bit scrambled. So if you do you want to learn more about some of the other accounts yeah. from this time period and what other people yeah. are saying. Okay, so what I'm thinking we could do is we could end here and then before next week, or I could do mine the week after as well if you want, but I will organize some of the other accounts from Roswell and put them together to listen to. So that was it. That was the big Roswell thing. I mean, that's what it's about, right, is this cover up. There's yeah there's there is a lot more to it. There are literally hundreds of people who have something to say about what was going on there at that time. Yeah, like I want to hear more, more about of the bodies. Like than how just... do you make an entire area, ge- geographical area of people shut the fuck up? Did they did they threaten them? It would take were they a like lot. were they like they we're going to atomic bomb your whole little city? Who knows? I mean, I guess they could have very easily. I mean, like, think about where they were at. They yeah. probably could, like, pretend that the, a test went wrong. I mean, I didn't see they that could. mentioned in any of the things that atomic bombs were mentioned. But, I mean, yeah. Like, what would scare imagine, people I mean, like, enough? if somebody came to you and they were, cause, like, when we think about fundamentally... Well, they threatened their families. Military officers were – I did see a couple things where military officers said that they were given um, they were given rewards of up to $10,000 if they were out at that field cleaning up to shut their mouths. They were threatened with not having pensions. Some of them were moved to other countries. Some of them died afterward. Like if they just wouldn't shut People the fuck up? People were afraid. Yeah, they were gonna die. There's always gonna be that one or psycho that out there. Die. But there's always gonna be that one defiant psycho out there that's like, I'm not gonna shut up. You can't shut me up. You can't scare me. I don't care. What are you gonna do to me? Yeah, but when you think about aliens have been linked to being crazy and just recently now with you know, when we have like actual military people who have really great credentials, who have these great service you know things and the military finally admitted like yes these people saw the the tic tac right like the those tic tac crafts yeah that were like they finally admitted that this is a thing and that there really are identify there are unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena i think is what you call them now but like a uap they're admitting that these things are there slowly to us and so we have to go back and look at some of these things where we used to talk about people who said that they saw aliens or that an alien ship landed and go back and say, okay, we've been telling these people that they're crazy for all this time, but what if what they're saying is real? What if these things have been covered up? And I understand the government wanting to cover it up because people would go crazy. So have you heard about what happened? So there, like Orson Welles had a like story that was read on the airwaves. Yeah, that was read on the airwaves and everyone thought it was Ever, real. Have you heard about that story? I mean, like, I, I've heard about it, but not, like... The War of the Worlds, really... and people went nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't dig, like, super into it, but I heard it mentioned quite a few times that people just lost their minds, and and they thought that the world was ending. Because it and was coming so through on the radio. And so if you tell them that 
Like, guess what? We have confirmed that there, there is an actual fucking alien spaceship and we found dead bodies. And one of them is alive. Because one was. What? People would lose their shit. What do you mean one was alive? One of the aliens yeah. was alive? Teaser for our next episode. Don't one was alive. That. Yeah. I need to know. It's true. I mean, it, it's, it's it's allegedly true. true. These are all alleged things we don't know for sure. <laughs> but I think it's You're all like, worth entertaining. It's true. I mean, we don't know that any of this stuff is for sure true. I mean, like, who knows? It could be mass hysteria and everybody wants to get in on the story. It's just weird to me when, like, a person on their deathbed wants to get in on the drama. Like, you spent your whole life not being dramatic, and then on your deathbed, you're like, well, it's time for me to join the drama and tell you about just my, wait till my, deathbed. my part in Roswell. The things I will tell you. The tales I will share. Yeah, it's just... I don't believe that that would be the case, but I, I understand why the military would want to cover it up. And if we were keeping these crafts to to study, because that's the other thing, too, is this reverse engineering, we don't want other governments to know that we have it. Oh, fuck Can you imagine me. how valuable that would be Yeah. to another government? Yeah. And the kind of, like, war that could start by people trying to get over here and get it? <laughs> Thinking that their scientists are going to figure it out when ours can't? Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. So for our next episode, I will dive into some witness accounts, which may or may not be credible. Again, never write a book report on something that we're doing ever because I just there's read very, Wikipedia. very interesting stories coming from people. Yeah, who really substantiate some of these claims that that Jesse Marcel and Mac Breslow. This actually should be called Weird Shit My Mom Read on the Internet. So with that, we can end. It is Weird Shit My Mom Read on the Internet, but I did read this on a book, to be fair. Oh, okay, okay. I don't read There's books. a lot of weird shit about Roswell out there, so I did try to go as much to the source as I possibly could. So I did go to a book written by the people that have studied it for 40 years. And even that might be a little cloudy. Well, I am looking forward to those. You are so blurred on my screen right now that you look like you could be an alien. <laughs> oh, you turned into an exclamation too, but you kind of look like an alien right now. Okay, so if you enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying our episodes, please, please share us with a friend. Give us a rating Shit. on whatever platform that you're listening to us on. You can help support our show by visiting patreon.com slash weird shit my mom says podcast. You can find us at facebook.com slash weird shit my mom says podcast but leave the eye out of shit we're also on instagram and tiktok at weird shit my mom says podcast also you can send us an email if you want to too we want to get to know who our listeners are especially from such our our such a tiny listener base that we have right now yes all right goodbye goodbye